Good job, Mark. Good job, Matthew. Good job, Andrew. Good job, Connor. Great job, Winston, in the back, making all those coffees for everyone. Great job, Kirsten and Andrew, in the back, in the sound booth. Thank you for everybody who made desserts. And thank you all for being here tonight. 30 seconds. I'm giving you 30 seconds to eat more macaroons. All right, let's go ahead and get started. This is session three, what does the local church do? And I'm going to go really quickly. Please stay with me. I'm barely going to touch on parts of my outline. I'm going to add things that aren't in the outline, and I'm going to have some good overlaps with the guys who went before me, because restatement is good, especially at 7.37 at night on a Sunday night. So let's go ahead and start with this. Let's play a little game. Let's play true or false, okay? True or false. I'm going to read a statement, and then you're going to say true or false, all right? Here we go, true or false. <clears throat> it doesn't matter if you're committed to a local church or not. It doesn't matter. Just do as you please and go where you want to. It's all about you anyway. It's all about your happiness, your fulfillment, and your ministry. You call the shots. Okay, here we go. Here's another one. True or false? It's about you getting all your needs met because you deserve to be happy. It's about your feelings. It's about your choice of where you want to be and what you want to do. You determine the outcome. It's like a smorgasbord. You just pick and choose the items you like best. It's like a salad bar. Pick and choose the ingredients you want. True or false? <laughs> Take that man outside. True or false? True or false, how to pick a church. Does it make you feel happy? Does it make you feel good about yourself? Does it make you feel fulfilled? Do you like the music? Do you like the preacher? And, and you should leave if there's even the slightest hint of any kind of expectation on you. And you need to stand your ground and stick up for yourself and don't let anyone tell you what to do. I, I don't know, you guys are kind of, you're getting shaky on this one. Last one, last one. True or false. True or false, if someone says something you don't like or looks at you the wrong way, tell as many people as you can, ignore them, go to a different service because you don't deserve to be treated like that. All right. All right. So, what did the early church do when they gathered? They devoted themselves, uh, Acts Two tells us to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to prayer, and to fellowship. And that fellowship is, is the sharing of life and resources. They were existing for exaltation, to worship God, to edify each other, to preach and teach the word of God, and to evangelize, to reach the nations. And the early church had a litmus test of what comprised a true church, a real church. And there were three things. In this local assembly of regenerated people, there were three things that were being done by a plurality of elders, preaching the word, administering the ordinances, and practicing church discipline, those three things. 
let me do a little restatement here. A local church is a community of born-again believers under qualified leadership who gather regularly for worship, growth, and outreach. A localized expression of the body of Christ living daily in relationship in community, obeying the head of the church, Jesus, and engaging in preaching, teaching, baptism, the Lord's Supper, and discipline. They're united for common worship, common witness. Now, I want you to take note of this. It's already been stated, but the, the invisible, universal church, capital C church, is comprised of all believers. The visible, local, lower C church, lowercase c church, doesn't necessarily have all believers in it. Okay, so the sheep and goats, wheat and chaff, and so on. So when we're talking about a local church, what does it do? Local church does what? So I'm going to literally just rapid fire through these. We'll slow down on some of the points. For most of the time, we're going to go pretty fast. Number one, it gathers regularly. Gathers regularly. So in Acts 2.44, all who believed were together. And they did all sorts of good things together. All sorts of good Christ-centered things. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, let us consider, literally think about, plan out how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging each other. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. So the, the closer we get to the return of Christ, the more intent we should be on Christian fellowship. Now, not everyone in a Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church is equally committed to their local assembly. The church consumer says this, I like X, Y, and Z better at this other church, so I'm switching. The church member says, I want to worship and serve and love better in my church. I'm staying. Two... The church submits to godly leadership. This was well stated by Matthew, but let me just mention on a practical level, shepherds of the flock, plurality of elders, and, and I've seen all sorts of examples where there's a plurality of elders, but they're not all qualified. Or there's not a plurality of elders, and it's one pastor doing it all. And I'm very thankful to God for my fellow pastor, elder, overseer, shepherds at Grace Church of Orange. Take the flock seriously. We take shepherding the flock seriously we are we most gladly spend and will be spent for the souls of the flock that we love and are a part of we're not thinking about the church down the street we are thinking about you we are praying for you we are engaged in in your life we are these are voluntary things where where you voluntarily say i want to be a part of this church and we voluntarily say we want to shepherd you third a local church preaches and listens expositionally now i'll take a little bit longer on this one uh, I, I kind of love the preaching aspect, I love it all, but let me just talk about the preaching, and especially expository preaching. So, a local church preaches and listens expositionally, and I got most of what I'm going to say next from Steve Lawson. So the word expository carries with it the idea of explaining the meaning of a, of a Bible text. So you're explaining what a Bible text says and means in context. And when you think of preaching, it's the, the manner in which the information and the instruction and the explanation is brought. 
And so expository preaching is the kind of preaching that begins with a passage of Scripture, sticks with the passage of Scripture, and goes through the sermon in the passage of Scripture and explains the authorial intent of the passage in context while making application with exhortation to the life of the listener. 1 Timothy 4, 13, Paul said to Timothy, until I come, give attention. Literally, set your mind seriously upon the public reading of Scripture, which is why we read Scripture publicly in our services, to exhortation. Why, what I'm doing right now, I'm reading Scripture publicly, to exhortation and to teaching. And so expository preaching is the reading of the word, the teaching of the word, and exhorting from the text. And, and it informs your mind, it ignites your heart, it impels your will. And true expository preaching addresses all three aspects of the inner life of of, of a person, your mind, emotion, and will. It's not just a lecture. It's something that you are being engaged in that you are to take action upon. So, several things about expository pre- preaching. It is text-driven. Text-driven. The expositor takes the passage of Scripture and stays with that text throughout the whole sermon. It is also God-exalting. The primary thrust of the Word of God is a magnification of God, the God of the Word. Expository preaching is also Christ-centered. Christ is the, the primary thrust of Scripture, the person and work of Jesus Christ. Expository preaching is also Spirit-empowered, inspired, empowered by the Spirit of God. We recognize our utter need for the inward ministry of the Spirit of God in our preaching. It is also exegetically grounded. What that means is you dig into the passage, you study it with precision on the most basic parts. You you get into the original languages. You look at the grammar. You look at the syntax. You look at parsing verbs. You look at the historical background. You look at the geographical context. And you also look and see where does this passage fit in the book it's in and in in, in where it is in the Bible and how it fits in the overall flow of the entire Bible. Expository preaching is also theologically precise. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, preaching is theology on fire. Theology on fire. And then, last thing I'll mention about it is it's practically relevant. It makes application to the lives of those who listen. But then there's the expository listening, okay? So the, the idea is this, that if, if, the, if, the, if the most important part of a, of a biblical church, a healthy church, is expository preaching, expositional preaching, preaching that takes for the main part of the sermon the point of the particular passage of the scriptures, then the listening agenda of a Christian has to be driven by the meaning of the passage being preached. That you engage in that as well. So when the word is being preached, you are listening to hear God speak to you the things he has written down in his omniscient Love written down for his glory and our blessing. And that you are basically interacting with the passage and you are listening for the meaning of the passage in question. And you are accepting that meaning as the main idea to be grasped for your personal life and for our corporate life as a body of believers. That's expositional listening. So it isn't just about expositional preaching, but expositional listening, expositional receiving of the word. Let's move on to number four. Uh, A local church worships together in song. 
Okay, so we sang one song tonight. So we didn't do a lot of singing tonight. But we sing the praises of God together. We sing when we gather. We sing on Sunday mornings. We, we sing uh, as God's people gather to exalt Him. We get a glimpse of His awesome glory. And we are transformed. We get a glimpse of what it will be like in heaven to praise the glories of God's grace forever and to worship Him in our singing. And so you think about this. You've got the worship in singing. You've got the worship in, in the reading and proclamation of the word. That's the closest to heaven that we can get here on earth. Singing God's praises and reading and proclaiming his word. How are we responding to that? This is like a dress rehearsal for heaven. Dress rehearsal. Corporate worship, you get together, gather, and really every element of the service, we want it to be God-centered. Uh, prayer, scripture, and so on. Number five, we worship together in prayer. So here, here's the thing. Worship together in prayer, we pour our hearts out to God. And, and we do it together. For example, the pastoral prayer on a Sunday morning. This is not just a, hey, we got to do this, so let's just do this. This is where whoever's standing up front praying, and I, I'm big on this. I, I, if anyone's a service host, you know, I write out these like guidelines for pastoral prayers and uh, take it really seriously and this, that, and the other. And the idea is you are, you are praying for the whole congregation, praying to God on behalf of everyone. It's a corporate prayer. It's not me just getting up here praying a personal prayer and you're just listening in. But we're pouring out our hearts to God. We're praising him. Think about this. As we gather, even on sidebars, okay, even on, in breaks, maybe we're praising God. Maybe we're confessing our sins. Maybe we're thanking him. Maybe we're sharing our needs. So it isn't just the formal prayer, but also the organic interactions that are going on. And I just want to mention this. Your thinking and the inputs that are in your life that you are taking in affects your prayer. In fact, if you're married, your marriage affects your prayer. Men, live with your wife in an understanding way that your prayers would not be hindered. That your prayers would not be hindered. If you're not loving your wife, men, you're not going to be able to pray. Michael Reeves said something interestingly. Uh, Michael Reeves, he's from England, and he said this. Beware of both undevotional theology and untheological devotion. Let me just unpack that a little bit here. So think about this. The, 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 the thinking that you, go, that you have on a daily basis and, and the, the inputs that are in your life that are coming and going and you're allowing into your life, things you're listening to, things you're watching, things you're reading, affect your prayers or your prayerlessness. And, and if, if you latch on to what Reeves is saying here, beware of undevotional theology. That's theology divorced from the heart. That's theology that doesn't affect your heart. And he also says, beware of untheological devotion, devotion that is untethered from biblical truth. And both of those things will affect your prayers. And by the way, if I send you a text and I say I'm praying for you, just know it is because I actually am praying for you right then. I just realized recently we have this PCO People app that I've been using, and a number of our, of our, of our, of our men's mobile numbers that are in there are actually their wives' numbers, so I had someone even say to me yesterday, thank you for praying for my husband. <laughs> this, is not, this is not him, you know. And I, I did tell him, I said, I'm praying for you and your family, so everybody was covered, but uh, anyway, interesting, it's just funny. Um, 
Number six, practices baptism in the Lord's Supper. Believer's baptism and then remembering Christ's death. So go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Believer's baptism, we practice that. That's what a church practices. If you're not baptized and you're a believer, you got to get those two things together. You know, in, in the New Testament, you would become a believer and just go get baptized right away, right? It would just happen that way. It's like you're at a wedding and, and they put a ring on, on their fingers, you know? It's like, boom, right there. You get married and there's the, there's the visible sign of, of the marriage. Uh, what we do now is practice some weird sort of disobedience, okay? I will get baptized when I get around to it, when I feel like it, when I think I want to go underwater, or whatever reason you might come up with. I don't want to be insensitive. You might be afraid of water, but seriously, seriously, if you're a believer and you've not been baptized, get baptized the next time we have a baptism. Just do that. And then every new believer, a brand new believer, they should just go get baptized. Because you know why? Because Jesus said to do it. And then remembering Christ's death. We are to eat the bread and drink the cup in thankful remembrance of Christ and his death. And we're to do it as often as as we do this, we remember Christ's death. We proclaim Christ's death until he comes again. So those are things we practice at Grace. Number seven, we're going to go really quick here. Number seven, exercise spiritual gifts. Uh, write down Romans 12, 3 through 8. Romans 12, 3 through 8. Read that, study it, do it. First uh, Peter 4, 7 through 11. Do that, okay? Exercise your spiritual gifts. But look at verse 11. First Peter 4, 11 says this, so that... In everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. That is the goal of exercising your spiritual gifts. It is not so people will think you're good at this, that, and the other. But that, that God would be glorified through Jesus Christ. Number eight, serve together. And I'll just say, in a million ways. In a million ways. Colossians 3.23 says, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Again, whatever you do, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. And, and when you see that phrase, the name of the Lord Jesus... That's in accordance to who he is in all his glory as God Almighty. Number nine, loves one another, and, and already addressed. But let me just mention something pretty practical to our life. Sin infects every heart, home, and community. This is the way it is. There are shocking realities we interact with and we experience, uh, crippling tragedies. Uh, we all have frustrated relationships and frustrating relationships that push against our trust in God. There might be shaky marriages. There might be rebellious children, not the ones here, of course. There might be demanding jobs. Some of you are dreading going to work in the morning, unless you're on staff at Grace Church Morning. But life is hard, and we go through trying times, and, and we know Jesus secures us, but we are to be part of a local assembly, and the church, the church upholds us. So Jesus secures us, but the church upholds us. You know what I'm saying? The church upholds us. For example, let's just say this, let's just say that you send a text to someone in the church that you know, or you give them a call, or you, you write them a note, or you go get coffee and you talk face to face, and you give them a word of encouragement, 
through any of those avenues, and you tell them, I'm praying for you, well, the fact that you know them and that you're part of the same local church makes all the difference. For example, if I get a message on my phone from a total stranger from another church that tells me they're praying for me, I think they're a telemarketer, right? I think they're asking for money. I think they're, 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 they're trying to you know, invade my life in some weird way. But if someone I know talks to me and encourages me in the faith, there's this connection point. It makes all the difference that you're part of a local church with people you know. That's not a life sentence, unless you're the Holbrooks. It's not a life sentence. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm going to chain you to the chair. No, seriously, I love the testimony of, of being in a church for 50 years. Praise God. One of our pastoral mentors, even John MacArthur, just celebrated 50 years at his church on, on the 10th. Praise God. The idea of longevity in a place with people and you go through the highs and the lows, the peaks and the pits, the valleys and the mountain, mountaintops. That's life. That's real life. Okay, let's move on. Number 10. Am I looking, is, is, the, is the clock right? Do I really have 8 minutes and 47 seconds? Is that my timer? That's what I've been using. Give me the thumbs up. All right, I'm going. Disciples one another. Admonish. Admonish. So think about this. The spirit grieves when we sin against somebody. Fellow believers grieve when they are sinned against or even when they sin against someone. We got to keep a humble heart before God and others and rejoice in the Lord and do what is right in the power of the spirit and walk in, in repentance and seek reconciliation. And, and admonishing is where someone comes to you and, and brings something to you that you have a blind spot on. So we got to walk with repentance and seek reconciliation. we got to counsel each other. What do we counsel each other with? What do we counsel? Take a wild guess. The word of God, right? Not our thoughts, God's thoughts. We have the mind of Christ. We have the word of God applied to life. Now I want you to look at Colossians chapter 3 with me real quick. Colossians 3 and verses 15 and 16. Just look at those verses with me. It says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. So the peace of Christ is ruling in your hearts. You were called in one body, the body of Christ, and you're thankful, so you're prayerful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So the word of Christ is dwelling in you, as the peace of Christ is ruling in your heart. And the, the word of Christ is dwelling in you richly. You're knowing it. You're taking it in. You're digesting it. You're thinking about it. You're rolling it over in your mind. You, you want to seriously practice it. And then it says this, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Where's the wisdom come from? The word of God. With all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Think about this. The, the counsel we give each other must come from the word of God. And, and even as we sing psalms in the Bible, hymns of the faith, spiritual songs that point us to Christ 
we have thankfulness in our hearts to God, give each other counsel. We instruct. Instruct. First Thessalonians five fourteen says, "We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all." Interesting that that is the church being called to do that. We urge you, brothers and sisters, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all. That's not the task of just the pastors and the elders, but of the whole body together, interdependent, interconnected in community. Okay, number 11, exercises church discipline. Uh, If you've been at Grace for any length of time, what is my alternative name for that? Church good stuff. Who said that? You get a free macaroon. They're right in the back. All right. My favorite name for it, Church Good Stuff, because it's about good, healthy relationships in the body of Christ, Matthew 18, 15 to 20, and more, and all the one another's. And let's go to number 12, evangelizes the world locally and globally. We stand on the perfect supreme word of God with the full authority of God. We yield the all-sufficient, authoritative, inspired, and errant, infallible word of God, sword of the spirit. And the way we live in light of that and the way we reach others betrays how submitted we are to the word. We need to share the gospel of Christ crucified, risen, and returning. Now I want to close with something off, off notes, but how the church is something that I, I, I put three words together, okay? Here, here's what it is, ready? Here, here it is. You can write this down, right? You can write this down. A transforming, recycling collective. A transforming, recycling collective. I want to talk about how that a church, a local church, is a transforming, recycling collective. So every local church is a collection of individual members who are being transformed into the image of Christ imperfectly and perfectly in the plan of God, but imperfectly, humanly speaking, but perfectly in the plan of God. And developing a healthy church depends on developing healthy church members who understand the importance of living and working together as one body for the glory of God. Now, not everyone who joins a local church does so for the right reasons. But it is a voluntary joining. Nobody forces you to join a church. And we do what we want to do. And people want to join churches for all sorts of reasons. You join a church, you need to have a solid testimony of faith in Christ. You need to bring your gifts and your abilities to the table for the common good. When you show up at a church to join, you're basically saying, I want to be under the authority of the leadership and mutual accountability amongst the body of Christ. You wonder where this comes from. Look in Ephesians chapters 4, 5, and 6. Look at Romans chapters 12 through 16. These are great manuals for how to be a good church member. Think about Romans 12, how I want to operate in a humble manner. Um, You're basically saying, I'm going to forgive. I'm going to give wise biblical counsel. I'm going to seek wise, godly counsel. Romans 13, I'm going to be a model citizen. I'm going to obey the governing authorities. Romans 14, I'm not going to judge my brother, and I'm not going to cause my brother to stumble. Romans 16, I'm going to seek to know others and allow myself to be known. I will preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. I will not cause divisions. But I think it is weird that the reason that most people either go to a church or leave a church has to do with consumeristic concerns. How they like the music, the message, or the ministries. And here's where we get into the problem of recycling. We recycle our problems, and we infect others with our issues, and so many issues could be dealt with rightly if only we'd ask advice and actually take the advice we're given from trusted counselors, 
biblical believers. And there are valid reasons to arrive at a church and leave a church. Now, I remember when I first came to Grace in, in 2006, my first like, new members class, there was like, I don't know, 18 or 30 people, I can't remember, and some of you in the room were in that class. I see one in the back. Brian, you were in that class. Brian and Tina, I'm pretty sure. Were you? Come on, just go with me. And I remember saying, I'm so glad you're all at Grace. I'm here because I was called here. Why are you here? And I, and I told him, I'm like, if you left your former church, unless you just came in from outer space or another state or another town, unless you just became a brand new believer and you're joining your first church, if you've come from another church and you left issues back there, please don't bring them here. Please don't recycle them here. Go back, please. Make it right. Then go figure out what you're going to do. Everyone should get that message when they go to a new local church. Everyone. You leave grace. If you go to a church that doesn't say that, it's because they want you there for reasons other than the best intentions. I know what it's like. It, well, it's nice to have new people at a church. Most churches will not do sendbacks. They like having new people too much. I understand, but what's most important? We've done sendbacks, have we not? Elders, we have done sendbacks. Now, what about if you leave? If there's doctrinal error being taught, leave. If there's heresy, leave. If there's such deep theological differences or philosophical differences, you might need to leave. If there are people issues that have not been able to be resolved, you've got to work that out. You can't force reconciliation as far as possible. As far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. But here's what happens. Most people do not do the hard work of actually facing those things head on and communicating them. Most people just walk away. I was helping a church that was going through some real big struggles uh, last year. Dave Strohs and I were helping. And we were in a meeting, and a guy gets up, and he just lights into a group of people. And I was like, wow, <laughs> wow. But then, I, then he said something that just changed my whole perspective on it. He said, guess what? We're here, and we're committed to the relationship, and we're going to work through these issues. We didn't leave. And I thought, fair enough. Just say it respectfully. <laughs> you know, seriously, it's like, okay, they're engaged in, in, in discussing their issues together. Most people just walk away, which betrays a fundamental misunderstanding of the church. There is a plurality of elders that shepherds the flock and is to know the flock and is to interact with the flock mutually. It's not a one-way street. It is a two-way street where we seek each other out in a healthy way and we connect. All right, we're going to close this up and I'm just going to say two more things. The local church is part of the church universal. The church universal. The invisible universal church is comprised of all believers. Okay, restatement. The visible local church doesn't necessarily have all believers in it. And I would just exhort you, be in submission to the local, humble, bold servant leadership in your church. Be lovingly held accountable. Lovingly hold others accountable. And stay on mission for Jesus and the gospel wherever you are. Let me pray for you. And then we'll have Connor come up. Let's, let me pray for you. Lord, I just thank you for this group. Thank you for privilege you have given us to be together tonight and to think about the local church. I pray for what happens next, and I pray, Lord, that you would be honored. I pray, Lord, that in each of our hearts, we would deeply, deeply love you and love our brothers and sisters in Christ. They're going through the tough times, 
rejoicing in the great times, but most of all, looking to you and wanting to seek to glorify you above all. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.